Matthew 21, and we're going to cover verses 18 uh, onward. And we're going to see how far we can go today. We want to try to keep our time to 30 minutes. And so we're going to be in Matthew 21, uh, beginning in verse 18. Now, chapter 21 opens with Jesus uh, cleansing the temple. And we call this a prophetic act. This is called an enacted prophecy. Uh, by overturning the tables in this dramatic fashion, he is foretelling uh, the destruction of the temple in the future, the judgment that God's going to bring upon the leadership of Israel. And this week is no different. This is another one of those what we call enacted prophecies. And so the beginning of this section, verses 18 through uh, 27, you have an enacted prophecy, and then that's followed by three parables. An enacted prophecy followed by three parables. We won't cover all three of those today. So let's look at the enacted prophecy. Look at verse 18, Matthew 21, 18. Now in the morning, this is the next morning, he returned to the city. This is uh, Jerusalem. As he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it, and he found nothing on it but leaves. And he said... Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? Now the issue in this section is no fruit. The fig tree uh, is not producing fruit like Jesus desires, and he curses the fig tree. Okay? Now, what we need to see, and this cursing of the fig tree is a prophetic action that foretells the downfall of Israel, as we will see in this whole section. So the issue is no fruit. Okay? Now look at the timing of the event. Uh, this is during Passover week. This is during uh, springtime. This is probably in April. Now normally in April... Fig trees have green fruit on them. Uh, they're very tart. You usually don't eat figs from a fig tree in the spring. Okay? But if you're hungry enough, you will. And it says he was hungry, and he looked for the figs, and there was no figs on the tree. The fact that there was no figs on the tree was very unusual. Uh, normally, a fig tree had these green tart figs there. And that was a guarantee that when summer come, there would be plenty of figs. There would be a big harvest of figs, and they would be you know, ripe and ready to eat. But this fig tree has absolutely none on the tree. Okay? Now, the meaning of the event is that uh, if there are no figs on the tree now, guess what? When summer comes, there will be no figs on the tree then. So this is a very fruitless and unproductive tree. Okay? So it's going to mean fruitless forever. Now, in the Old Testament, God oftentimes likens Israel to a fig tree. And that's what you need to understand. Well, we're not going to turn to all these passages, but Israel is likened to a fig tree in the book of Jeremiah, for example. So when Jesus curses the fig tree, symbolically, guess what he's cursing? He's cursing Israel. And particularly the leaders in Israel, as we'll see through this passage. And the reason he's cursing Israel, because Israel is fruitless. 
It's not producing the fruit that it should be producing. So the theme of this whole section here is fruitlessness. In fact, I'll go as far as to say one of the major themes in all of Matthew is fruit and fruitlessness. I would love to see somebody do a study, just look up the word fruit in the Gospel of Matthew and see how many times it's mentioned. It would be a great master's thesis for somebody who wanted to, to work on this whole issue in the Gospel of Matthew. In this case, this nation is fruitless. Now, I want to just show you two passages. I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 3. And this sort of sets the stage for everything that, we're have, that we have here. In Matthew chapter 3, when you get there, look at verse 7. This is John the Baptist's ministry. This plays very uh, prominent in our discussion today. John the Baptist. Okay? So in Matthew 3 and verse 7, it says this. John's on the river, Jordan, and he's baptizing. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth what? Fruits of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. And so what we have here is we have a group of people who have not brought good fruit. Verse 10 he says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore every tree that does not bear what? Good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There is judgment. And here he's talking about people. He's not talking about trees, literally, is it? You have to bring forth fruit. And they were not bringing forth fruit. And Jesus comes and he sees this fig tree in chapter 21 when you go back there. And guess what? It's not producing fruit. And guess what he does? He pronounces a judgment on it. But it's not. And it literally happened. There was a tree there. It didn't produce fruit. He judged it and it withered up. It literally happened. But the meaning goes far more than just the literal meaning. This is a symbol of Israel being judged. And if you're back in 21, if you look now down to verse 43, where this section ends, look what he says in 2143. <coughs> It says, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, he says to the religious leaders, and it will be given to a nation that bears what? Fruit. You see that? The issue here is fruit. So here are these religious leaders, here's the nation of Israel, not bearing the fruit that God expects from it. It was to be a light to the nation. It was to serve as uh, uh, an alternative to evil society and all the nations were to look at Israel and see how they lived and would just flock into it but that's not what's happening with Israel and in this prophetic enactment Jesus curses the fig tree so back in verse 20 it says when the disciples saw it they marveled how the fig tree withered away so soon so now we have Jesus response in verse 21 so Jesus answered and he said unto them assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not believe, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, and what was done to the fig tree? It was judged, it was kept. Withered away, right? Representing the nation. If you have faith and believe, you'll not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you shall also say to this mountain... Now we're going from a fig tree to a mountain. You'll say to this mountain, what mountain? 
this mountain. Now remember, he's coming into Jerusalem from, Beth from Bethany, and the mountain that's in front of him is Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount. Just as I said to the fig tree, you're judged, and it represented nation, the nation of Israel, you'll say to this mountain where the Temple Mount is, what will you say to it in verse 21? Be removed. And cast into the sea, and it shall be done. So, what would happen to this mountain? It's going to what? Sink. It's going to be removed. It's going down. And that mountain represents the same thing the fig tree represents. In this, this particular passage, it is the nation of Israel. And so just as Jesus condemns the nation of Israel, so here the apostles are going to pronounce judgments in their ministries on the nation of Israel. And Israel is going to fall, especially its leaders, not the nation as a whole, although it will be defeated. Its leaders will no longer rule that nation. And so here he talks about it going down into the sea. It's demise. It's demise. And then he says, that's what you say. You'll say to that mountain. Say, if you have faith, you will say to that mountain. You see that in verse 21? You'll say to the mountain. Just as Jesus said something to the fig tree. Jesus said something to the fig tree. They will say something to the mountain. And then he adds, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now remember, what's the context? The context is judgment. He's not talking about, you know, you have a toe ache. You say, oh, Lord, I believe, and God heals your toe. That's not the context in this passage. The context in this passage is pronouncing judgment and praying on Israel's demise, especially its leaders. So it's very interesting when you look at the context of judgment in this passage, it all makes sense. So he says, if you pray and believe, you will receive. God's going to answer that. Well... <clears throat> It ends up that one of them really doesn't want the downfall of the religious leaders. His name is Judas Iscariot. So what does he do? He sells Jesus down the river for 30 pieces. But the others remain faithful, and they do believe, and they will become the new leaders of this restored Israel when God, uh, after Christ's death and his resurrection. So now, the next section, we have Jesus confronting the temple leaders. So look at verse 23. Now, when he came into the temple, you see, that's where he's heading. That's why the mountain represents the temple in Israel. The chief priest and the elders of the people, these would be the temple leaders, the leaders of Israel, they confronted him as he was teaching, and they said, they asked a question. The first is a what question, and the second is a who question. Watch what they say. By what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? The what question. What right do you have to do these things? What things? What things? Well, the things that he did just the day before, which was what? Overturn the tables in the temple. Pronounce judgments on the nation. And then, who gave you this authority? Did you get it from God? Did he tell you to do that? Or is this some scheme of your own mind and making? Now, the chief priest and the elders 
They claimed to have a right to do whatever they wanted to do, and they claimed that their right and their authority came from God. But what about Jesus? So that's what they're asking here. What about your actions? Where do you get the authority to do this? Now look at verse 24. But Jesus answered and said to them, Well, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. See, Jesus recognizes a trap when he sees one. If he says, I do it from God, they say, ah, oh, you don't do it from God, you know. So he recognizes a trap, so he's going to set a trap for them. He said, well, I'll answer the question if you'll answer one for me. Okay? And here's the question. The baptism of John. That's where we were. It's back there in chapter 3. Remember that? The baptism of John. Where was it from? He asked the religious leaders. From heaven or from man? Did uh, John get his authority and right to do the things that he did from God, or did he get it from some human source? Now, look at what they do. And they reason among themselves in verse 25, saying, Well, if we say he got it from heaven, he will say to us, Then why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you repent and bring forth birth of repentance? Why don't you do what John said? If you believe that his authority was from heaven, wouldn't you want to do what God wanted you to do? But if we say in verse 26, from men, we fear the multitude because the multitude think John's a prophet. If we say, ah, he was just a man, man. All these people, John's disciples are going to go crazy. So they answered Jesus and said, we all know. Now if you don't think that was humiliating for the chief priests and the elders... To say we don't know in front of a crowd of people who thought they are the authorities. It was. And he said to them, well, if you don't know, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So uh, they set a trap for Jesus, and they get caught in their own trap. And so Jesus doesn't have to answer the question. Now, we come to, so that's, that's what we call the prophetic act. Israel is going to be judged because of its fruitlessness, especially the religious leaders. Now we come to the first of three parables. This is the parable of the two sons. Now, remember what a parable is. A parable is a fictitious story that is a, based on reality. You know, there's a man. Well, we know there's men. I mean, so there's, and it's, a, it's used to drive home a point. So this is a parable, a story that Jesus makes up to drive home his point. What's his point? Israel is fruitless. It will be judged. That's his point. That's what the parable will drive home. So look what he says. But what do you think, he says? A man had two sons. Now, in this parable, we're going to see a man and we're going to see two sons. The man, as becomes obvious throughout the parable, represents God. The two sons represent Israel. Some who are obedient to God and some who are not obedient to God. Okay, so that's the parable. Man is God, the two sons represent people, Jewish people. Now watch what it says. And he came to the first. The man came to the first. And he said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it. And he went. He goes and works in the vineyard. Okay. 
<coughs> then he came to the second son. And he said, likewise. And he said, I'll go, Dad. You can count on me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But look at the end of verse 30. But he did not go. He makes a promise, but he fails to keep the promise. And he doesn't come through. And the proof's in the pudding, right? So look what happens. Jesus says in verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, well, the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, said I say to you that the tax collectors and the harlots entered the kingdom of God before you did. Now that's the bottom line. <coughs> Here you have harlots and tax collectors. They're not obedient to God at all. He wants them to keep the law and be obedient. And they say, no way, Jose. We'll do what we want to do. But guess what? They come to their senses the tax collectors and the harlots, and guess what they do? Repent. And they become obedient to God. But you have the religious leaders. And God says, I want you to do this, and they say, we will, we will, we will. And then guess what? No fruit. They don't do it. They're disobedient. And so, this is the bottom line of this teaching. He said to them, in verse 31, Assuredly I say to you, the tax collectors and the harlots enter the kingdom of God before you do. And that phrase, before you do, is an idiom. It's a figure of speech. It means you won't get it. It would be like this. You know, a monkey will get into Harvard before you will. Well, let me tell you, that doesn't mean the monkey will get the admission and then you'll get in. You'll finally get in. It means you're not gonna, you don't have a chance, right, to get in. So he's basically saying, you will not get into the kingdom of God. And he gives the reason. Now look at the reason. It goes right back to John the Baptist again. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. He represented God. He spoke God's will. He came in the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. To reject John is to reject who? God. Jesus is establishing John's authority by whom he did these things. You did not believe, but watch this. But the tax collectors and the harlots what did what? They believed him. See that? And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. You never, never made the change. You never brought forth the fruits of righteousness. You just remained in your stubborn ways. So they rejected John, and therefore they reject God. They said they would obey God, like the second son, but they didn't obey God. The harlots, the tax collectors are sinners, but they come to their senses and they obey God. They enter the kingdom of God. One's judge, the other enters the kingdom. Still with me? Now look at parable number two. Okay, parable number two. And that's called the parable of the wicked vine dressers. 
It covers 10 verses, but it will be finished in less than five minutes. It's that fast. It's parables you can go through very fast once you identify the key people in the parable. So look at verse 33. Now another parable. It's going to drive that same point home about judgment. Now watch. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, and he set a hedge around the bed about it. He dug a wine press in it. He built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers, and he went into a foreign country. Now, again, we have certain people. We have a landowner here. The landowner represents God. You got that? The landowner represents God. You got a vineyard. The vineyard represents Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of God. Okay? And then you have vine dressers. It says. He leased it to vine dressers. These are the religious leaders in charge of the nation. Commissioned to protect it. To lead it. To guide it. To care for it. Okay? So you got God, you got the nation, the people, and then you got the religious leaders. Now look at verse 34. Now when the vintage time drew near, he, this would be God or the, the landowner, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. This represents the Old Testament prophets. God sent the Old Testament prophets. And look what it says. And the vine dressers, that would be the religious leaders, took the servants, the prophets, beat one, killed one, stoned another. Three forms of violence in the Old Testament. This is what they did to the Old Testament prophets, wasn't it? It wasn't the nations that were killing the prophets. It was Israel's leaders that were killing the prophets. It was the kings who were killing the prophets. It was the priests who were killing the prophets. So God sends the prophets to get the fruit, and they kill them. Now look at verse 36. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first. And they did likewise to them. And the last prophet that he sent was John the Baptist, and they had his head on a platter. King Harry put his head on the platter. Because John says, you're supposed to be obedient to God and you married your brother Philip's wife. You stole it from your brother. And that was the end of it. So they, they killed those. Ending with John the Baptist. Then last of all, he sent his son to them saying, well, at least they'll respect my son. This is God's last emissary, last envoy, last messenger who's going to come. But when the vine dressers, the religious leaders, saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize his inheritance. So, you need to understand the, the context of what's going on. Uh, in Bible times, the landowner, uh, this was a landowner that was away. He was like we call an absentee landowner. He was far from the land. And so when it came time to pick up the prophets, he would send an emissary to get it. And well, they did. They killed him, killed him, killed him. First time, second time. Finally, they killed the son. Now, you know, now the owner has no idea what's happened. He wasn't there when these murders were happening. Right? In, in the parable. Uh, all he knows is they never came back. Now, in Bible times, if you didn't, couldn't collect the, the royalties on your crops, whoever settled on that land, they'd get it. You know, possession's nine-tenths of the law. 
So usually what would happen if you sent somebody to collect your profits and they didn't come back and send them again, uh, you end up coming yourself. <laughs> you said, well, we're not going to allow this to go on. So you get a hit squad. And you get a little group of guys with you and you would go to that property that you own and you'd collect the profits real quick. Well, guess what happens? The landowner doesn't come. Who does he send? His son. And they figured if the father didn't come, he must be dead. And his son is coming to collect. So guess what? If we get rid of the son, it's all ours. And this is the scenario that Jesus is setting up. So that's what they say. So they kill the son. Boy, are they shocked when they find out that daddy's not dead. He was just giving them one more chance. See? So that's sort of the setting of this parable. And you, when you look at it, you see what the scripture says in verse 39. It says, so they took him, that's the son, and they cast him out of the vineyard, out of Israel. This is Jesus was put outside the city of gate. And they killed him. Now, look at this. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do? And that's the shocker. He's not dead. And now Jesus asked the religious leaders. He says, that's the parable. Now, in this parable, if this were a true story, what would the landowner do in this situation if they finally killed his son and all these employees? So look what it says. <clears throat> they said, he would destroy those wicked men miserably. That's a judgment, isn't it? He'll lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him what? The fruits of their seed. So we see that the vineyard, the nation of Israel, is going to be given to what? Someone else to lead. Jesus said to them, have you never read the stone which the builders rejected? That would be the son. He's become the chief cornerstone. This is God's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. This is a quote from Psalm 118, which speaks about a Messiah who's being rejected, the Son of God who's being rejected. Therefore I say to you, look at verse 43, the kingdom of God will be taken, what? From you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. So your leadership is going to end and the leadership of the nation is going to be given to others. That's what the new covenant is all about. God says in Jeremiah 31, 31, he's going to establish a new covenant with Israel. Not like the old covenant will include a giving of the Holy Spirit and many other things. And it's a covenant with Israel and it's going to include Gentiles coming into it. And he will set up new leadership and the new leadership that he's going to set up are the twelve apostles who will now be the new leaders of the twelve tribes of Israel. And we could go to all kinds of passages in the New Testament and show that. But the bottom line is fruit. Now look at verse 44. Whoever falls on this stone, that's the Messiah, comes against the Messiah, will be broken. And whomever it falls upon, it will grind in the dust. Just like in Daniel chapter 2, where this Daniel sees this great stone, the kingdom of God, that just grinds the enemies of God to dust. 
Now verse 45 says, Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was, what? Speaking about them. They got the point. Unfortunately, most Christians who read it don't get the point. <laughs> but they got the point. They realized that they were going to be replaced. The temple was going to be destroyed. The chief priests and elders were going to be replaced. God was going to establish a new covenant with Israel with a new leadership. Now when they heard this verse, when they, verse 46, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him as a prophet and their hands were bound. And so the rest of the week, what they're going to do is they're going to pluck how they can get Jesus and eventually they will use Judas to scary to get him. Okay? Now I want you to turn to Isaiah 5 and this is where I'm going to end. Okay? Because this passage is based a lot on some imagery from Isaiah 5. And when you get there, I think you'll be surprised. And look at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 5. And look at verse 1. Now let me sing my... Now let me... Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his, look at this, vineyard. You see that? My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. There's the fruit there. Now watch. He dug it up. He cleared out the stones. He planted it with the choicest vines. He built a tower in its midst. And he also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, good fruit. But it brought forth wild grapes. Didn't bring forth what was expected. Look down at verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is what? The house of Israel. Do you see that? That is the vineyard. That is the basis for Jesus' parable. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. It's people is the vineyard. He looked for justice, but behold, what did he get? Oppression. That's what the religious leaders were doing to the people. Working for Rome, collecting taxes, oppressing the people. Well, they were fat cats. He looked for righteousness, but behold, guess what God heard? A cry for help! Help us, Lord! Help us! And so guess what? God answers the plea and He helps them by sending Jesus Christ. And they say, well, we just need to get rid of this guy because we need to keep the vineyard for ourselves. We need to keep control over Israel. So we'll kill him. And guess what? They nail him to a cross and they say, we got rid of him. But three days later, what did God do? Raised him from the dead. And this is great in God's sight. The stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. And he ascended and he sat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he sends the Holy Spirit and he forms a new entity which is made up of Messianic Jews, believing Jews, and believing Gentiles to carry on through the new covenant. Now that's only the second parable. The third parable we'll look at next week and we'll see it drives home the same point of a judgment upon all those who are fruitless. Now let me tell you this. You need to look at your own life we need to look at our lives. We need to look at our lives as a church and say, what kind of fruit are we producing? Because it's very dangerous when you have a new building. 
Because guess where all your emphasis goes? Well, where did all the Jewish leaders' emphasis go? On their building the temple. That, that could be smashed just like that. You don't put your emphasis on building. You put your emphasis on righteousness and fruit. And for a church, for a Sunday school class, for an individual, we all must be looking at ourselves, examining ourselves, and saying, do we have the fruit of righteousness in our lives? We must never lose that focus. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a very uh, interesting passage of Scripture that talks about fruitlessness and judgment. And Jesus acts it out in graphic form, dramatic, in a dramatic manner so that we can't miss the point. Oh, Lord, help us to, to take this truth and apply it to our own situations. Help us to be people of righteousness and people who bear fruit in due season. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>